God, you are truly a great God. You have shown your greatness in so many ways. You are the King of kings, Lord of lords. We thank you, Lord, that you have revealed yourself to us. You've revealed yourself down through history in so many different ways. You've revealed yourself through the prophets. Centuries and centuries ago, you've revealed yourself, though, first and foremost, through Jesus. Your supreme revelation of who you are. And Lord, we thank you for Scripture as well, the Bible, your word. Your written revelation to us to help us know who you are, help us know how we can relate to you. And I pray this morning as we open the scripture that you will open our eyes in, in new ways today, in deeper ways, to the glory of who you are, the grace of what you've done to, for us through Jesus, and also help us to know, Lord, how we can relate to you and how we can bring you increasing glory in and through our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Now today we are talking about the topic of prayer. And if you're like me, prayer is one of those topics that we know is very important, yet we sometimes struggle to pray well and to pray consistently. Let me give you an example this morning of what maybe your prayer life is like. See if you can relate to this, because this is how my prayer life can kind of be if I'm not careful sometimes. So, so let's see if this is kind of how you pray. Dear God, Thank you for your great love. You are so kind and caring, and I am blessed. Father, I pray for my friend. She found out that she has cancer, and it's scary. Lord, I pray that you will heal her. You are the great physician. Hmm. I think my car needs gas. I need to remember to fill it up on the way to work today. Ah. I don't want to go to work today. My boss, she, she makes me so mad. I can't believe what she said to me yesterday. She just doesn't understand. She is so rude. I, I want to get back to her, but that's probably not the right thing I should do. Oh, yeah, I was praying. God, God, please give me wisdom in how to handle this situation. Some people just make me so mad. can't wait for the Bucks games this week. They are, they are playing so well. They have a chance to win it all this year. I, I, I hope they do. That would be amazing. You know, Giannis is amazing. He is unstoppable right now. But he's going to be a free agent in a couple years. I, I, got, I hope that he doesn't leave Milwaukee when he becomes a free agent. God, I pray the Bucks will win the championship this year. Is it right to pray for sports, God? I don't know. Father, I am upset that my kids, they just waste so much money on junk. Don't they know that money doesn't grow on trees? God, I, I hope that when they grow up, that they will make better financial decisions. And Lord, I pray that you will give me a good attitude today. And I pray that my boss will be in a better mood. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I mean, does that resemble what your prayers are sometimes like? Where, you know what, you're praying along, and all of a sudden you just realize my mind is off in la-la land somewhere. You're thinking about work, you're thinking about a to-do list, you're thinking about uh, some sports, you're, you're thinking about all kinds of different things, but suddenly you realize you're not praying any longer. And then in those other times, when you are praying, sometimes you find that your prayers are a bit superficial. 
Now, for me, one of the reasons that I like to write out my prayers by hand, or why I like to pray out loud when I'm able to, is that it helps keep me focused. Yet again, even those times where our prayers are focused, and we are legitimately praying, it's so easy for our prayers to be relatively superficial. That we are praying for things that are of earthly significance, and those are legitimate prayer requests, those are legitimate things to be praying about, yet at the same time, so frequently, our prayers fail to address the deeper realities, the deeper spiritual realities that truly matter in light of eternity. Now in the Bible, we have a number of examples of prayers. And these prayers that are recorded in Scripture are a great treasure chest of resources that help us to learn how to pray deeply and how to pray for the things that really matter. And today we're looking at one of these prayers that's found in the book of Ephesians. So I invite you to turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Now the book of Ephesians helps us to see how gospel truths lead to gospel lives. The first half of the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters, are all about deep theological truths of the gospel. But then there's a transition that takes place between chapters 3 and 4, and then the second half of the book of Ephesians is about applying the gospel to our daily lives. So you have gospel truths that lead to gospel lives. Now the gospel, it's a word that we use a lot here at Freedoms. The gospel is a word that basically means good news. And the way I frequently refer to the gospel is that the gospel is the good news that Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection, has won the victory over sin, evil, and death. And he passes that victory on to us. But the gospel is such a multifaceted uh, idea and reality that there are a number of different ways you can look at the gospel. Let me offer you another definition of the gospel. This definition comes from a, a man named David Putman. And he says that the gospel is that Jesus has redeemed us, is renewing us, and ultimately will restore all things. And so from this angle, the gospel has both a past dimension, a present dimension, and a future dimension. That if our faith is in Christ, in the past, God has already redeemed us. And that he is working in our lives presently to renew us, to transform us from the inside out, to make us more like Christ. And then, in the future, Jesus will return to restore all things, setting up the new heavens and the new earth. And so the gospel has all these different angles, and today we are going to see how the gospel relates to prayer. So I invite you to follow along in your Bibles, Ephesians 1, picking up in verse 15. Paul says, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of, of, of his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. 
and he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So from this passage, I want to draw out four aspects of gospel-saturated prayer. Gospel-saturated prayer. And the first aspect I want to draw out is that gospel-saturated prayer is motivated by the gospel. Verse 15 begins with the words, for this reason. Now, for what reason? When Paul says, for this reason, he's referring to what he had just been talking about. He's been talking about the truths of the gospel. He says, for this reason, I pray. Last week, we saw in the first half of Ephesians 1, Paul is talking about all the different aspects. There's this breathtaking list of aspects of the gospel and its benefits in our lives. That if our faith is in Christ, God has chosen us. And God has adopted us into his family. God has redeemed us. God has forgiven us. God gives us an inheritance in heaven one day. God seals us with the promised Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. These are truths of the gospel. He gives us a purpose and a hope and a future. These are breathtaking truths of the gospel that Paul in the first half of Ephesians 1 has outlined in breathtaking detail. And then he says, for this reason, because of these truths of the gospel, I am praying for you. Now think about it. If you know of something absolutely amazing that could benefit other people, would you not want to share it with others? I mean, if you, for instance, know about some cure for cancer, wouldn't you want to share it with others to benefit them? Or if you find out about a legitimate offer for a free vacation anywhere in the world, and anyone who, who signs up for this can go. It's not a sweepstakes where only one person goes, or it's not some fraud or something like that, but anyone can get a free vacation anywhere, anywhere in the world. Would you not want to share that with others? In the same way, as we look at the gospel, we have to understand that it is the greatest gift this world has ever seen. And that gift of the gospel and its benefits for whoever receives it is what motivates Paul to pray. He says, for this reason, I pray. And an application for us is to continually remind ourselves of the gospel. Because the gospel can compel us to pray as well. And the gospel is kind of like a diamond. You look at a diamond, it's well cut. You have all these different angles of the diamond that give it its beauty. And the gospel also has so many different angles of its beauty. And that's why it's so valuable for us to be digging the scripture on our own on a regular basis. Because scripture helps us to see all the different multifaceted beauty of the gospel. And then we can use scripture and we can use that multifaceted beauty of the gospel to launch us into our times of prayer. To help us have gospel saturated prayer. Paul says, for this reason I pray. So one aspect of gospel saturated prayer is that the gospel motivates our prayers. Also, gospel-saturated prayer rejoices in the gospel's work in people's lives. That when we hear about God working in someone's life and transforming their life through the gospel, it should cause us to rejoice and to give him thanks. Paul says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So Paul is very thankful to God for their faith in the Lord Jesus. Now, faith in Jesus is the key that unlocks the treasure house of the gospel. 
Let me say that again. Faith in Jesus is the key that unlocks the treasure house of the gospel. And Paul is rejoicing because these Ephesian Christians, these Christians in the city of Ephesus, have this faith in Christ. They have received this gospel in their lives and they're experiencing the benefits of a joy-filled relationship with God. And this causes Paul to rejoice with thankfulness to God. And this should be our natural response when we are living gospel of Christ in our lives. That when we hear of God's work in someone's life, it should cause us to rejoice and to give God thanks. I can think of so many different examples of this, even from the last week. But let me share one that comes from a couple years ago. I think of a woman named Rhea Salomon. Now, Rita passed away in late 2017 from cancer. But in the couple of years prior to that, God was radically transforming Rita's life. Rita grew up in a very difficult circumstance. She had some, some very painful experiences early in life that left her filled with anger and loneliness and shame. As a teenager, her heart for God grew cold and bitter. And for the next 45 years, she walked away from God and away from church. Now, Rita's turning point began just a handful of years ago, and she was watching TV. She was flipping through the channels and came across a pastor. And let me read uh, what, what she was talking about, what this pastor said about Jesus. In Rita's own words, she said that he explained that Jesus died on the cross to remove all sin from us so we'd be able to have a relationship with God. So Rita began to process this for a while. She began to talk with some others in her life. And then she found her way here to Frieden's Church. And she wrote... I came to the realization that my guardian angel, she'd been attributing things to her guardian angel for a while, that my guardian angel was not an angel, but Jesus Christ leading me to salvation. This new awareness caused me to look at what I'd attributed to my guardian angel with a clearer view, and I finally recognized the hand of Jesus steadying me and showing me the right path. This revelation changed my whole perspective on Christianity and opened my eyes to the fact that God is not vengeful, or angry, or just waiting for us to fail. God gave his only son to be put to death so people could be brought closer to God. She went on to say, I have become more adept at recognizing and accepting Jesus' help and guidance. I am less inclined to be judgmental of others as well, of a, as well as of myself, and I am more patient with myself and others. If I find myself becoming frustrated with someone, I stop and say a prayer to Jesus to give me strength. The anger, denial, and loneliness began to subside as my understanding of being a Christian deepened and solidified. I have discovered that there is no end in death, but a new beginning in eternity with God. Death is a joyous experience as a coming home. Now, there are a lot of different people investing in Rita's life. God was obviously working in his life. I had the opportunity to sit down with her a handful of times uh, through that transformational period in her life and just talk with her and hear the things that God was doing. And each time after I'd meet with Rita, uh, just later in that day, my prayer journal would be filled with just thanks and praise to God for his work in Rita's life. Because when we love Jesus, that should be the natural response. That when we hear accounts of God's work in people's lives, that we should give him thanks and praise. And that is a key aspect of gospel saturated prayer now another aspect of, uh, in terms of how the gospel is transforming lives is that with gospel saturated prayer that we should be imploring god to opening people's hearts to the gospel that we should want god to open people's hearts to the gospel because the gospel 
and is a spiritual truth that we in ourselves and our sinful nature are not prone to receive. We need God to open our eyes and hearts to the gospel. Look with me again to this passage, verse 17. Paul says that he is remembering the Ephesians in his prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. So Paul is praying that God will open the eyes of these Ephesian Christians in greater ways to cause the gospel to sink into their lives. I, I think again of what Rita said. Let me point out some of the terminology that Rita was using. She talked about a realization that she came to about God. She talked about a new awareness, a clearer view. She said, I finally recognized Jesus there in my life. She, she had a revelation that changed her life, that God opened her eyes. And so you listen to this terminology. I don't think Rita knew she was doing this. But she is referring there, even using the same terminology that Paul used in Ephesians chapter 1 to describe God's work opening people's eyes, opening people's hearts to the gospel. And so this is something that we ought to be praying for in our prayers for other people, that God will open their eyes and hearts in fresh ways to the gospel. We must understand that this prayer in Ephesians 1 is not just an evangelistic prayer. Oftentimes when we think about praying that God will open someone's eyes and hearts to the gospel, we think about those who aren't yet followers of Jesus. And that is a legitimate way to pray. But everyone needs the gospel every single day. And you think about Paul's prayer in Ephesians 1. He's not writing to people who are, who are not yet Christians. He's writing to people in Ephesus who already are believers in Christ. He already commended them and, and thanked God for their faith in the Lord Jesus. They already are Christians. He is praying that God will give them that spirit of revelation, the Holy Spirit, in fresh ways to open their eyes, in fresh ways to the glories of the gospel and the truths of the gospel so the gospel truths will lead to gospel living. And so for our, our prayers and our lives, we need to make sure that we are praying deeper than just the physical circumstances of our lives. Because it is so easy in our prayers just to focus on the earthly cares. Focus on prayers for health needs. Focus on prayers for financial needs and job needs and relational needs and other concerns that we face in life and, you know, sometimes sports. So, so we pray for all kinds of different things around us, these immediate needs that grab our attention. But here in Ephesians 1, Paul is calling us to a deeper level of prayer where we may pray for those things, but we also pray more deeply applying the gospel to whatever situation we're praying for. And remember that definition of the gospel, that Jesus has redeemed us, that he is renewing us, and that he ultimately will restore all things. And so as we are praying for people, whether it's praying for health or praying for finances or praying for a broken relationship or whatever, if they are not yet believers in Christ, let's be praying in addition to those other, other prayer requests that we will be praying that God will do a redeeming work in their lives, opening their eyes to, gospel, to the gospel, empowering them to turn to Jesus for the first time. 
And if we are praying for someone who's already a follower of Jesus, whatever else we're praying for them, let's also be praying that God will work in their lives, even using those difficult circumstances, to renew them spiritually, to be transforming them from the inside out, loosen the grip that things of this world have in their lives so that they will treasure Jesus more. So we have to remember that God's ultimate goal for us is not merely that we would be happy and not merely that we would be healthy and not merely that we would be comfortable in our lives. God's ultimate goal is that we will be holy, that we will reflect the nature and the character of Jesus. So we need to be praying for those around us and for ourselves that God will be renewing us from the inside out. And then in, in our prayers for people, regardless of where they are spiritually and regardless of what we're praying for, let's make sure that we are praying as well for their future. That they will find their hope and their confidence in Jesus, knowing that life and death on this earth is not the end. But there's something else that comes after. So we need to be prepared for that. And if our faith is in Jesus, we can, we can have hope and confidence through whatever we face on this earth. Because Jesus ultimately will return and restore all things. So this requires intentionality. I mean, gospel-saturated prayer, it doesn't just happen happenstance. Because what, what ends up happening if we aren't intentional is that we pray kind of like I was praying earlier. Uh, of just your mind is going all over the place. Sometimes praying for good things, sometimes just all kinds of random things, and sometimes your mind is in la-la land. But this type of gospel-saturated prayer is highly intentional to be applying the gospel to whatever else we're praying for. Now one other aspect of gospel-saturated prayer, not only is it motivated by the gospel, and not only is it rejoicing in the gospel's work in people's lives. Not only is it imploring God to open people's hearts to the gospel, but the fourth and final aspect we're looking at of gospel-saturated prayer today is that gospel-saturated prayer depends on God's power. It depends on God's power. Look with me again to verse 19. Paul is praying that their eyes might be opened to the immeasurable greatness of God's power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. In the last sermon series, it was called Jesus Humble and Exalted, and it traced Jesus' pathway, this U-shaped pathway, where he started in glory in heaven, but then came into this earth, humbled himself very deeply, and the lowest point on his pathway was when he was crucified. He died and was buried. Jesus was dead. You don't really get more hopeless and lifeless than being dead. He was buried. But that wasn't the end of the story. God worked in his supernatural power to raise Jesus from the dead. And not only to raise him from the dead, but to exalt him. To heaven, to be the, the, the name of all names, to the highest place. That the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so we saw this exaltation that Jesus experienced through God's mighty power. And here in Ephesians 1, Paul says that same power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead is available for us here and now. Now when thinking about power... I think about an experience that my kids and I had a couple weeks ago. And one weekend, we saw two supercars here in Port Washington. A Friday evening, we saw a Lamborghini. 
And on Sunday evening, we saw a McLaren. Let's focus on the McLaren for a minute. That was in the parking lot of Culver's Restaurant. We pulled in the parking lot, saw this thing sitting there, pulled up, parked near it. And, and as you're in the presence of this car, you can sense that you're in the presence of power. It doesn't take an automotive, automotive engineer to realize that here you're in the presence of something very powerful. Now, my family has two vehicles. One is a 1999 Chevy Cavalier that, when it was new, made 115 horsepower. Now it's probably less. 115 horsepower. We have a minivan that has a couple hundred horsepower. That McLaren makes 600 horsepower. 600 horsepower. That is enough to propel that car 0 to 60 in 2.9 seconds. Its top speed, 204 miles an hour. 600 horsepower. Standing next to that car, had to keep my daughter off the car. She likes to get close. I said, do not touch that car. <laughs> That's, she was a bit close, I think, even for that picture in my mind. But, but we were in the presence of power. But the thing was, we did not have access to that power. Now, we were in this presence. We were impressed with it. And when we went into the restaurant, my kids wanted to get a table as close as, the, as they could to that car. And we kept admiring it through the meal. And, and, and that was the topic of conversation. But we did not have personal access to benefit from the power of that car. 600 horsepower sitting right there. But it was not our car. And I do not have $250,000 to buy that car. So it's there. We're in the presence of power. But we have no personal, uh, personal benefit from it. We cannot access that power for ourselves. But this is very different than the power that God makes available to us. Because God's power that he used to resurrect Jesus from the dead is available to us, Paul says, here and now. He talks about this immeasurably, this immeasurable greatness of God's power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at, the right, at his right hand in the heavenly realms. So we have access to the power of God here and now. That same power that raised Jesus from the dead, we can benefit from now. It's not like the McLaren. That, that, you know, that's something really impressively powerful, but we have no real benefit or access from it besides admiring it. No, God's power is available to us here and now. God reaches down into our deepest graves, deepest depths of our lives, and with the same power that he used to raise Jesus from the dead, he grabs us from our pride and from our apathy, from our fear, our prejudice, our anger, our hurt, our addictions, our idolatries, our despair. And he lifts us up. He gives us a new hope and a new life. You think about Rita Salomon, about the transformation that took place in her life. That's the power of God at work. Now I said that, that, that God's power is not like that McLaren's power because God's power is more accessible to us. God's power is also not like that McLaren's power because God's power is typically not ostentatious. It's not fancy. It's not showy. That McLaren certainly was. God's power in this world is oftentimes veiled. You think about how God came to this world in the form of Jesus. A humble man who, who, who a lot of people when they looked at Jesus just thought, you know, he's a normal guy. He's God in human form. He was still manifesting God's power in very real and powerful and effective ways in people's lives. But it's not an obvious show of power that we may like to see. And here in this passage, we see that God's power is still at work. And one of the places God's power is at work is through the church. It says in verses 22 and 23 that God put all things 
under Jesus' feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And so just like Jesus was God's presence here on earth, but was veiled in a sense, but still had God's power, the church is the same way. Not, not, we don't generate our own power. It's spiritual power that comes from Jesus working through us. It's still veiled in some ways. It's not showy, but God works through his Holy Spirit and through the church to transform people's lives. It's the gospel doing a powerful work. And so in our gospel-saturated prayers, we're saying, God, I can't do this on my own. I can't change anyone's heart. I am weak even in my own circumstances. But God, I look to you because you are powerful. And I lean on the power that you use to resurrect Jesus from the dead. I lean on that power to do a redeeming work, whether it's in my life or in someone else's life. God, I look to you for your power, and I want you to get the glory. I am weak, but in my weakness, may your power and your strength be shown, and may you get the glory. So this is a picture of gospel-saturated prayer. It's prayer that depends on God's power. It's prayer that rejoices when God is working people's lives and, in fact, prays for God's continuing work to transforming people's lives with the gospel. It's prayer that is in love with Jesus. And it's prayer that has a purpose, has a focus that's deeper than merely fixing some unpleasant circumstances in our lives. We can certainly be praying for the challenging circumstances. God says in 1 Peter 5, cast all your anxieties on me because I care for you. All anxieties. But ultimately, let's be sure that we are praying with the gospel-saturated nature in our prayers as well. I want to close this in prayer. Come back over here to my prayer place and uh, just close uh, this message in prayer. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for your great love. You are so kind and so caring. Thank you that you have blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. And Lord, we pray that you will give us the spirit of wisdom and of revelation, that you will enlighten the eyes of our hearts so that we will enjoy you more thoroughly and pray more fervently. And that ultimately you will be glorified through us as individuals and through credence as a church. Lord, we know that there are many here in our midst this morning who are struggling with all kinds of different struggles. And each of us, as people in our lives that we come into contact with, perhaps on a regular basis, perhaps not as regularly, but they are struggling as well. Lord, we pray that you will meet the practical needs of people here, people who are on our minds. Meet them where they are. And Lord, and please help them in, in their practical needs. But Lord, to a greater degree, we pray that you will work out redemption and renewal in their lives spiritually so that they will experience the hope and the life that is available through Jesus. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your great love for us and for the gospel. And we pray these things in your name and for your glory. Amen. May you stand and sing.